0: Section 12 of The Cambridge Modern History, Volume 1 The Renaissance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 4 Italy and Her Invaders by Stanley Leaves, Part 1 in the latter half of the fifteenth century italy presented the appearance of comparative calm frederick the third in spite of the motto attributed to him alles erdreich ist österreich untertan took no step to assert imperial claims in italy conciliar storms had blown over the condottieri had been tamed secure for the most part in their little tyrannies They drew the pay of some neighbouring state, and spent it on luxury, literature, and art. If war was on foot, its bitterness was mitigated, at any rate to the soldier, by every courteous device. The clash of party strife was seldom heard, for most cities had bought internal peace at the price of liberty. Italy possessed her own state system her own great powers, intent on preserving a balance of forces, her own alliances, triple or dual. At first, the North Italian powers had their own league. Later, the alliance of Milan, Florence, and Naples, promoted and sustained by Lorenzo de Medici, kept in check the vigilant ambition of Venice, still almost at the height of her power and pride the smaller powers mantua ferrara and the tyrants of the papal states in constant dread of their covetous neighbors leant for support on one or other of the great powers and did what in them lay to preserve the balance after the brilliant raid of john the angevin duke of calabria ferrante the bastard of aragon ruled naples in comparative peace The revolt of his barons was stamped out, without regard for faith or mercy, as befitted a man of that age. The seizure of Otranto by the Turks in 1480 was a warning of external danger that may have assisted to preserve the peace, although all projects of united and offensive resistance to the advancing Mohammedans came to nothing. The equilibrium was unstable, but on the whole it was preserved the death of lorenzo de medici in fourteen ninety two soon followed by that of innocent the eighth marks a turning point in the history of italy it is easy to attach too much importance to such casual incidents but they may at least delay or hasten the inevitable course of events and in lorenzo was removed the conscious guardian of the peace of italy while the successor of Innocent, Rodrigo Borgia, was neither fitted nor inclined to play a pacific part. This, then, is the moment to survey the scene of our drama, to name our chief dramatis personae, and to unfold our plot. Three of our protagonists, Venice, Florence, the Holy See, have their own place for separate treatment in this volume nor is this the occasion to dwell on the petty politics of the many tyrants of the Romagna and central Italy. Naples, however, and Milan require some introduction. The kingdom of Naples, though still styling itself kingdom of Sicily, had been separated from its island namesake since the Sicilian Vespers, when the Angevin successors of the Suebian kings were driven from the trinacrian island in fourteen thirty five this angevin dynasty died out and its inheritance fell to alfonso of aragon the king of insular sicily on his death in fourteen fifty eight the island kingdom had remained attached to aragon while naples had been devised to his bastard ferdinand or ferrante the political characteristics of the Neapolitan kingdom mark it off sharply from the rest of Italy. Here had survived, though in a debased form, the feudal economy which had long since disappeared further north. Here, no elusive ideal of municipal liberty mocked, amid the realities of party strife, the citizens of independent cities great feudatories ground down their vassals with all the ingenuity that a new commercial and industrial wisdom inspired the king himself a feudatory and tributary of the holy see was master of naples and its castles and of certain royal dues and domains but for the rest hung on the good will of a score of almost independent princes ferrante greedy capable and ruthless had done much to change all that he had devised a system of commercial monopolies exercised for the royal benefit which had considerably increased his revenues the baron's war had restored to him by confiscation a part of the toll that his commercial partners had levied on his profits and had crushed the greatest family of the kingdom the princely house of san severino his relations to the papacy had been unfriendly even warlike but on the whole he had succeeded in withholding his tribute without losing his fife but dangers now threatened him at home and abroad at home though feared he was hated his son alfonso the partner of his many cruel and treacherous acts was equally detested zealous enemies were working against him especially at the court of france the de facto ruler of milan had wronged him in the person of his granddaughter the illegitimate son of an usurper he held his crown by no hereditary right and rumors came from beyond the alps that a stronger claimant was astir the state of milan created by the vigor of the house of visconti and recognized as a duchy in thirteen ninety five by the emperor wencheslas had fallen in fourteen fifty to the house of sforza whose founder the great condottiere, had risen from the plough francesco the first sforza duke was succeeded in fourteen sixty six by his son galeazzo maria who was assassinated in the church of san stefano in fourteen seventy six leaving a young son gian gagliazzo then about eight years old the government was carried on by his mother bona of savoy in the name of the infant and in her own but dissensions soon arose between the regent and her brothers-in-law in In the first encounter bona and her chief counsellor chico simonetta were victorious and the brothers of Galeazzo Maria were obliged to leave the city. But before long, Ludovico, the ablest of the sons of Francesco Sforza, took advantage of the rivalry between Tassino, the favorite of the Duchess, and Simonetta to procure his own readmission. The fall and execution of Simonetta followed, and from 1479 the real government of Milan lay in the hands of Ludovico, whose power was further secured in fourteen eighty when he seized the person of the young duke and the duchess was obliged to leave milan henceforward the rule of ludovico was not seriously challenged the young duke was a prisoner and ludovico managed everything in his name nor was the condition of the unfortunate young man improved even after his marriage to isabella the granddaughter of the king of naples thus at the time when our story begins the whole force and policy of milan was moved at the will of one man ludovico called the duke of bari from the neapolitan fife he owned and known from his complexion as the moor made a great impression on the men of his time. He was a master of every political art as then understood by Italian statesmen. By his wisdom he had risen, and by it he aspired to dominate Italy. Mistakes he made, no doubt, as, for instance, in marrying his nephew to the Neapolitan princess. But his versatile and unscrupulous intelligence well served by his agents with information from every court was never at a loss for an expedient to meet a difficulty his weakness was partly the weakness of his school of statesmanship in which good faith and consistency were not valued as political qualities a more serious defect was the lack of courage and nerve which he showed under the stress of danger HIS MUNIFICENCE TOWARDS ARTISTS AND MEN OF LETTERS, HIS LUXURIOUS AND NOBLE OSTENTATION, WHILE THEY TENDED NO DOUBT TO DIMINISH HIS UNPOPULARITY, PROVED A HEAVY BURDEN ON HIS FINANCES, AND INCREASED THE WEIGHT OF HIS EXACTIONS. THE STATE OVER WHICH HE RULED WAS ONE OF THE RICHEST OF ITALY. HIS ANNUAL REVENUE WAS ESTIMATED AT 700,000 DUCATS about the same sum as Ferrante raised from Naples. The dukes of Milan, though frequently embarrassed, again and again surprise us by the enormous sums of which they disposed. Thus, Ludovico was able to give to Maximilian with his niece Bianca Maria no less a sum as dowry than 400,000 ducats. Only Venice had more ample resources, and the fixed charges on the Venetian treasury were heavier than Milan had to bear. The Duke of Milan controlled Genoa and her navy, which, although no longer a match for that of Venice, could be employed with great effect on the western seaboard of Italy. Through the Genoese his influence extended over the chief part of Corsica, whence on occasion good foot-soldiers could be drawn but the military strength of milan like that of the other italian states left much to be desired while good infantry was scarce the inferior infantry was very bad and the brilliant troops of mercenary horse on which principal reliance was put were untrustworthy and unused to serious war moreover the old party animosities still survived in milan and if policy prompted, Guelph could still be roused against Ghibelline. Again, the Sforza rule had not yet received imperial confirmation, and the claims of the Duke of Orleans were a permanent and a serious menace. With full consciousness of their own weakness and sincere mutual distrust, the Italian powers had watched the growth of France. French intervention in Italy was no new thing. While her strength was yet immature, France had given one race of kings to Naples, and had endeavored to give another. Charles Seventh had driven the English from France, and before his death, Genoa had asked and received French protection and a French governor. Louis XI found that genoa had revolted but was too wise to waste his resources on distant enterprises and gave no material aid to the ill-fated quest of john of calabria as a pretender to the kingdom of naples louis devoted his whole energy to the union of france under his absolute rule but he never lost sight of the affairs of italy The powers of italy abased themselves before him in rivalry to win his favor he answered them impartially with good words and maintained them in slavish expectation of good services thus the french king came to be more and more regarded as the arbiter of italian fortunes the presents made to his ambassadors and courtiers and their reception when they visited italy assisted to foster the belief that Italy was rich, disunited and helpless, an easy prey to a militant monarchy. There was no reason to believe that the successor of Louis would be hampered by his difficulties or inclined to his reserve. The leagues formed among themselves by the Italian states served to prevent the undue aggrandizement of any one state at the expense of the others but no such partial alliance could stand up against the french king in view of the suspicion almost the certainty that the other powers would join the invaders and that the members of the alliance itself could not be trusted the union of italy against a foreign foe was almost unthinkable charles the eighth had hardly come to the throne when the signoria of venice approached his government with the proposal that the conquest of Milan and of Naples should be at once undertaken. This treacherous act, if treachery can be imputed where there is no mutual assurance of good faith, is explained by the position of Venice, then engaged in a single-handed struggle with almost the whole of Italy. But it proved, if proof was needed, that a French invasion, whatever its pretext, would find allies in the peninsula ludovico deserves the doubtful credit of having been the first to bring his goods to market french ambition had two excuses for intervention in italy the first was the claim of orleans to milan resting on the marriage of valentina visconti to the first duke of orleans and on the marriage contract of valentina confirmed by clement the seventh in which her right to succeed to her father in default of male heirs was recognized there seems also to have been a will of gian galeazzo visconti securing the succession to her male issue in default of the direct male line but ludovico alone knew of this and caused all known copies to be destroyed legal objections might be urged against all these grounds of claim but they were good enough to support a dynastic war. Louis of Orleans had, in 1491, recovered his favor at court, and it was not impossible that Milan would be made the object of the French attack. Milan lay dangerously near to France, and strategically was much less difficult of access than Naples. On the other hand, charles might well be unwilling to aggrandize one of the most powerful of his nobles a possible heir to the throne who though reconciled had not long ago been in arms against his king it was ludovico's natural policy to endeavor to divert this danger from himself the second french pretext was the claim to naples resting on similar grounds and similarly open to cavil Joanna I, Queen of Naples of the first Angevin line, had no heirs of her body. The lawful heir was Charles of Durazzo, descended from the younger son of Charles II of Naples. Being at enmity with Charles of Durazzo, Joanna adopted her remote cousin Louis, Duke of Anjou, by the second creation. Charles and his descendants had successfully defended their rights against Louis and his heirs until their line also died out in Joanna II. The latter, in order to defend herself against the attacks of Louis III of Anjou, adopted Alfonso of Aragon as her heir. When later Alfonso wished to make himself master of Naples without waiting for Joanna's death, Joanna revoked this act of adoption... Adopted Louis third and on her death, 1435, made his brother Rene her heir. Thus, Alfonso, who seized the kingdom, was legally only a successful usurper, and all the claims which Louis I derived from the adoption of Joanna I, together with the claims of the House of Durazzo, were united in the person of Rene who more than once tried to recover his heritage the rights of René passed in fourteen eighty one through his nephew the count of maine by will and also though not so certainly by succession to louis the eleventh and after him to charles the eighth sixtus the fourth although he refused to consider the application of charles du main for the investiture of naples in fourteen eighty two moved by different thoughts urged louis to undertake the conquest of the kingdom quote, which belongs to him at the beginning of the reign of charles the eighth there was some talk of putting forward rene of lorraine a descendant through the female line of the house of anjou as claimant to the kingdom. But these proposals seem never to have been serious, and cannot be said to impair the rights of Charles the Eighth. Thus, there were two paths open to the ambition of the French king, when freed from the prudent tutelage of his sister Anne. The head of the young monarch was filled with chimerical dreams. His domestic troubles had been satisfactorily composed his standing force of cavalry fitted alike for the shock of battle for scouting and skirmishing and for missile tactics was full of military enthusiasm and wanted work his artillery was far ahead of any other in europe his infantry was less satisfactory but could be strengthened from abroad he had himself but lately come to man's estate and was eager to prove himself a man and a king. At his court were the Neapolitan exiles, especially the Sanseverino princes, eager to press on him a definite plan of conquest. He was estranged from the wise counselors who had kept him so long in leading strings. Supple courtiers and men of business, Etienne de Vesque and Guillaume Brissonnet, were at his side ready to find means for the execution of any scheme that pleased their royal master and promised to them incidental profits the crown of sicily carried with it the crown of jerusalem thus suggesting at once and facilitating an ulterior project of crusade and europe needed a crusade the moor was probably the first among the italian princes to see that french intervention in italy so often talked of had at length become a real danger he approached the king of france in fourteen ninety one and received from him in the name of his nephew the investiture of genoa which had been similarly granted to francesco his father by louis the eleventh in fourteen ninety two he obtained the renewal of the alliance formerly enjoyed by his father thus recovering the position of favour which his elder brother had lost through his indiscreet leanings towards charles the bold the milanese embassy of unusual magnificence that soon afterwards visited france had no compromising instructions its object was to win the french courtiers by presents to make all vague assurances of general devotion and to secure if possible the protection of the king for the duke of body himself in all this it succeeded whatever may have been spoken of in private and commune suggests that the most important topics were discussed it is probable that no promises were made which ludovico could not afterwards disavow yet it is clear that he desired to secure a safeguard for himself not only against france but also against naples for his relations with that country were less than cordial the king of naples could hardly acquiesce permanently in the humiliation of his granddaughter which isabella herself deeply resented hitherto he had been hampered by war with the pope but peace was concluded at the end of fourteen ninety one ludovico looked to france to protect him against naples he hoped to achieve this end without armed french intervention but in any case if invasion occurred he was determined that naples and not milan or the duke of bari should be the victim the events of the next two years illustrate the unstable nature of italian policy and italian alliances lorenzo de medici died in april fourteen ninety two while the milanese embassy was at paris the choice before his son piero was a difficult one it was the traditional policy of florence to keep up intimate almost subservient relations with france where the commercial and financial interests of the medici bank were important but on the other hand to prevent if possible active foreign interference in italy these two aims were probably now no longer to be reconciled and piero sacrificed the first without attaining the second following as it seems the counsels of virginio orsini his wife's cousin he drew closer to naples thus alarming and alienating ludovico who soon afterwards concluded an alliance with venice and rome piero rejected all overtures from france and the opening campaign was preceded by the expulsion of the medici agents from french territory the accession of alexander the sixth in august fourteen ninety two seemed at first a great good fortune for ludovico for his brother the cardinal ascanio sforza was reputed to have supreme influence with the new pontiff a little matter the sale by franceschetto cibo son of the late pope of two places in the patrimonio Anguilara and cervetri to virginio orsini the friend of piero and captain-general of naples assisted the secret endeavors of ascanio to animate the pope against naples and florence The league of the pope with Milan and Venice, and an indirect encouragement of France in her plans against Naples, were results of this ill feeling. But the dread of a general council, of which Charles had rashly spoken, may have inclined Alexander to entertain the pressing solicitations of Ferrante, supported by the offer of an advantageous marriage for one of Alexander's sons to a Neapolitan princess the pope allowed his anger to be appeased and in august fourteen ninety three returned an evasive answer to the confident request of peron de Basqui, the french envoy for the investiture of naples with a free passage and the supply of provisions for french troops after the death of ferrante in january fourteen ninety four alexander confirmed the investiture to his son alfonso and in february he solemnly warned the french king against disturbing the peace of christian italy leagued with savelli colonna and orsini the fiery cardinal giuliano della rovere afterwards pope julius ii was consistent only in his opposition to alexander so long as the pope was hostile to naples giuliano supported ferrante and retiring from rome he occupied his strongly fortified castle at ostia a standing menace to the city when naples was reconciled he returned sulkily to rome but when the certainty of the invasion was established he saw his opportunity for striking a blow left rome in april fourteen ninety four and joined the king of france at lyons to urge upon him the necessity of a council with a view to the deposition of alexander before the french king took the final step it had been necessary for him to surmount serious difficulties the marriage of charles with anne of brittany had involved france in hostilities with a league of powers on the north henry the seventh descended and laid siege to boulogne england was bought off by the treaty of Etaples, november fourteen ninety two with an exorbitant money ransom which caused henry the seventh to forget that he had ever felt himself threatened by the presence of the french in brittany on the south france was menaced by the recently consolidated and extended kingdoms of aragon and castile their neutrality was purchased january fourteen ninety three by the retrocession without indemnity of the counties of roussillon and Saint-Denis, on the northward slope of the eastern pyrenees pledged in fourteen sixty two to louis the eleventh by john of aragon for three hundred thousand crowns maximilian king of the romans had not only been robbed of his breton marriage but had also a claim under the treaty of arras to the restitution of Franche-Comté and artois with some minor places part of the heritage of charles the bold under that treaty these provinces had been given to france as the dowry of maximilian's daughter whom charles had now repudiated in the war which followed this double wrong maximilian had achieved partial though for him unusual success his honour was satisfied moreover he was now deserted by his allies he could the more willingly accept the terms of the treaty of saint may 1493 which gave him in effect almost all there was left to give the opportunity offered by this reconciliation ludovico was not slow to seize with the consent of france he gave to maximilian the hand of his niece bianca maria with her more than princely dowry in the following year maximilian who had in the interval succeeded to the empire redeemed his obligation by bestowing on ludovico the investiture of milan a little before the opportune death of gian galeazzo the heavy price that charles was paying for a free hand in italy must have shown ludovico that the expedition was probable and by the end of the year he knew for certain that it was imminent he could no longer hope to withdraw from the alliance he had sought on the other hand his own position was extremely dangerous by the end of fourteen ninety three it was clear that florence rome and naples were against him venice maintained a watchful neutrality a rapid advance on milan or genoa or both might have overthrown his precarious rule it was his task to amuse his enemies with fair words delusive proposals and treacherous promises until the time for action was passed meanwhile the french king delayed warlike preparations had been in progress since fourteen ninety two in fourteen ninety three charles assumed the title of king of sicily and of jerusalem additional taxes and forced loans were exacted to raise the necessary funds royal domains were sold and the revenues pledged in advance at the beginning of fourteen ninety four the neapolitan ambassadors were dismissed on the sixth of march charles entered lyon to press on the mobilization in person in the same month the composition of the proposed force was fixed one thousand nine hundred french lances six men to a lance were to be supplemented by one thousand five hundred italian lances four men to a lance making with twelve hundred mounted arblasters a total force of eighteen thousand six hundred horsemen though a proportion of these were grooms and servants the bailli of dijon antoine de besset was sent to raise six thousand swiss french infantry picards gascons dauphin was and infantry to be raised in italy with a few german Landsknecht were to make up a total of twenty two thousand foot of this force about one fourth was to be transported by sea from genoa and orders were sent to prepare and collect a sufficient naval armament it is probable that ultimately the above estimate was nearly realized but everything especially the preparation of the fleet was retarded for lack of money in vain ludovico who had now thrown aside all hesitation urged through his agents the need of haste inexperience incompetence lack of good will in the royal surrounding especially it would seem in brissonnet everything tended to delay toward the end of may a small instalment of troops crossed the alps the duke of orleans appointed to the command of the fleet was still detained at asti when a neapolitan squadron appeared at genoa with native exiles on board in hope of exciting a rising the stroke failed but the danger had been real and was not past however by the end of july a sufficient fleet had been collected alphonse's chance was gone on the nineteenth of august louis of orleans took up his command at genoa and on the eighth of september the first collision occurred the neapolitan fleet had occupied rapallo and landed four thousand men on the advance of the french fleet the enemy stronger in numbers though weaker in artillery sailed off their post on shore was attacked by land and cannonaded from the sea the victory rested with the french and genoese and italy was startled at a battle in which the shedding of blood had not been spared the swiss in particular had shown themselves ruthless and bloodthirsty meanwhile the king had actually crossed the alps by the mont geneve his heavy artillery being sent by sea to genoa in savoy subject to french influence since louis the eleventh no courtesy or facility was denied him the marquis of montferrat put himself and his lands at the king's service at asti which belonged to orleans the dukes of bari and ferrara greeted the king and the news of the victory of rapallo was brought here a mild attack of smallpox delayed the king for a short time and the general disorganization was increased by an access of fever which prostrated the duke of orleans the king having recovered it was determined that louis should stay behind at asti in absolute lack of money the king had to raise a loan by the help of the credit of ludovico from whom much more liberal assistance had been expected the king of naples had caused his army strengthened by a papal contingent to advance into the romagna where he could rely on urbino and cesena the attitude of bentivoglio at bologna and of caterina sforza at imola and Forli was doubtful these troops were opposed by milanese under the count of caiazzo and french under Aubigny, but when charles had decided to advance through tuscany the operations in romagna lost their meaning and the allies withdrew charles passed through pavia where he visited gian galeazzo at piacenza he heard of the young duke's death as far as pontremoli he marched over milanese soil thence descending the apennines he advanced into florentine territory and attacked sarzana had sarzana and pietra santa been strongly defended the country at this point presented serious difficulties to an advancing army the land on either side of the road was marshy and the fortresses were well capable of defence but piero unsupported and unprepared had at length determined to give in he knew that there were many in florence were favorable to france and hostile to himself acting on his own responsibility while sarzana still held out he came to the french camp at san stefano and surrendered everything sarzana pietra santa pisa and livorno and promised the king a considerable loan but his submission came too late when he returned to florence He found the palace of the Signoria closed to him. The city rose against him, and he was obliged to fly with his brother, the young Cardinal Giovanni. End of section 12. Recording by Linda Johnson.